0: am oh i the bit of despair don't even think <coughs> don't even think about trying to escape hey everyone and welcome to let's pod this my name is andy moore executive director of Let's Fix This, which is our parent organization. know it's a parent organization. The podcast is not an organization by itself. It is a feature of the organization. This is the worst start we've had in a while, Scott.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's not bad. It's just a little meandering.
0: Well, yes. It's been a long week.
1: That that is the God's honest truth.
0: So again, I'm Andy Moore. Hello, I'm one of your hosts. And I'm joined today by Scott Melson. Hello, Scott. What's up, guys? Uh, Scott, thanks for uh, holding down the fort last week. Thanks to Grant Herms
1: for filling in for me. That was also very helpful. Yeah, dude, uh, he was he was uh, he was great. Um, you know, I think he was he was a little nervous. He said about uh, trying to fill in your shoes for the week, but I think he.
0: Because I have giant shoes. Uh, <laughs> Literally, I wear a size 15. Really. I do.
1: That's impressive.
0: It's uh, problematic because I wanted to order some Adidas Sambas the other day for oh, old school them. effect. They don't make them. In my size. Are your feet like paddles? Yes, I can swim very quickly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like you don't even, if you scuba, you don't even need, uh, no, you don't even need flippers. It's
0: helpful in Oklahoma wind also, I don't fall over very easy. Yeah, yeah,
1: interesting, interesting. No, um, Grant was, uh, Grant was excited to be here. Um, I think he did a great job and we're, like you said, certainly grateful to him for sitting in and uh, being across the table so that our fair listeners were not stuck having to listen to me ramble. By myself, a uh, forty-five minute monologue by Scott Melson—that's probably not in anyone's best interest.
0: Perhaps not,
1: but I—I <laughs> I
0: did like, as we talked about uh, last week. And Grant, if you're listening, I think—I mean, seriously, thanks again for filling in. And Scott said you were nervous because normally, uh, in in news, um, Grant is used to kind of reading a script that maybe he's written for a story, right. and here we're just winging it. You know, sentence by sentence, most of the time. No scripts for us. And so I was like, "Oh right. Well, it does take a real man, um, or a lady to speak off the cuff."
1: That's, it's it's certainly I think one of the things that makes, um, you know, a medium like radio or podcasting. You know, I I really enjoy radio shows. I enjoy a lot of NPR shows. I enjoy a lot of podcasts, and the the non-scripted nature mm-hmm. of it is mm-hmm. one of the things that I really that I really like. So. Um, it's, yeah, I think it's, it's fun to produce a show like that. And certainly, uh, hopefully fun for you guys to listen to.
0: And, on uh, the plus side is that we can go back and edit what we're saying also. So ours is not live. So Grant has the upper hand there.
1: That's 100%. Uh, live would freak me out.
0: Whenever I've done a live interview, I do get a little bit nervous.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What if yeah. my
0: nose explodes? What if something happens?
1: Well, I mean, nose exploding, that's interesting.
0: It could, it could happen. So this week, let's start with a recap the big news of the week. Sunny die.
1: Thank God. Or, as the Latin say, sine die. That's, you know, so I th- I think I mentioned this last week and we had to cut up for time. Sorry, guys. But uh, I was making fun of Andy about two weeks ago because he was saying it was sine die. And I was like, "Would well, do you speak Latin? And he said, no, I don't. Turns out he does. It is, in fact, sine die. According to how to pronounce this. But in a com.
0: state where we've got cities like Prague and Miami, I'm not surprise that we might say signy die. It is where we say signy die and not just sign die.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's never made a lot of sense to me. You know, it's it's funny. I'm I said thank God like because as I've talked about, <laughs> you and I have talked about both in private and on the pod for the last couple of weeks. You know, I think we've we've been ready for them to be done. There's no question that the legislators themselves have been ready to be done for a while now. Um,
0: right, seventeen months, right? Yeah, of I mean this session been, mostly constant. So
1: we've had, we've had. I mean, it is not an exaggeration to say that since since last January, we have had about four. We've had the the amount of time they have in a session would typically take about four years uh, that they've done in the last year and a half. So wow, that's to put it in those terms. That's yeah, impressive. Yeah. So. So there's no question that they're ready for a break and we're ready for a break. I do confess, speaking for myself, um, I really wish they had chosen to spend their last two weeks focused on some different things than they did. Um, But, you know, I don't get to tell them what bills to hear, so they get to make that decision for themselves.
0: The last week of session is always a bit rough, right? Like, I think every year. And so this year is no exception. However, this is the first time that I'm aware of, that they finished
1: this early. It's been since 2015. I don't know if they've ever finished this early. I don't think it's even this early. 2015 was the last time that they were early at all. And, you know, you're right. Like, it is typical... It is typical to see the last, you know, few days and weeks of session with lots of late nights. Um, Sometimes there are some shenanigans. Um, However, I think what's different about this year... Um, and there were several people kind of, there was a nice thread, I forget who had it, there was a nice thread on Twitter kind of discussing this. Usually the shenanigans that we see at the end of the year and the late nights and the debates and the back and forth have to do with the budget. So they save the budget for the very last thing, they've passed everything else, everything else has been done, Right. and they kind of shove the budget through at the very end. Because
0: they're dealing with deciding where to cut. Right.
1: right. However, this year there were no cuts necessary, and the biggest part of the budget, education, about fifty-one percent of the do- about 51% of the budget, was done, you know three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have that to deal with. But one of the consequences of that was that lots of policy bills, um, that normally would have already been dispensed with, um, were kind of put on the agenda this week. Bills that, you know, we've talked about zombie bills here before. There were several bills that we had all thought were kind of dead, you know, weren't going anywhere that ended up coming back this week. Um, and not only were they put back on the agenda, but they were heard and several of them ultimately passed um, after a lot of, uh, in some cases, a lot of questioning and debate, and in some cases, very little questioning and debate, and just lots of procedural maneuvers on the part of both parties. So it's definitely a typical last week of session in terms of the late nights and lots of action, but I think it, I think that the, f- the context of that looks a little bit different this year than, than what we typically expect. Right.
0: And I forget uh, every year of the, you know, this is our second actual year of session, but let's fix this, that at the end of session, strange and spooky things happen with the bills, right? Like, we get zombie bills, we get bills that weren't there, and they get dropped into, like, special conference committees, and they go through both chambers, like, by the end of the day, things
1: that don't even make sense. Yeah. And just for for you guys listening, the reason this happens, because if you've, if you have paid, not say if you've paid attention, if you've listened to us for any episodes recently, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about deadlines. So, you know, this is the deadline for bills to be heard out of committee. This is the deadline for bills to be passed off the floor in the chamber of origin. This is the the deadline for bills to be passed in the opposite chamber. So you may be asking yourself, well, wait a second, Scott and Andy, you guys have said, you guys have said that there have been all these deadlines. How can there possibly be new bills being added at the end. There's a couple of ways. So one, bills that have failed early in the process earlier in the process, that language can be extracted, okay? Like so let's say I'm just making I'm making up a bill number. Let's say you had House Bill 123, okay? And House Bill 123 failed. But there was another bill, House Bill 456, and House Bill 456 got through the house and it got through committee and it got through the floor and it passed the senate and it passed the senate maybe with an amendment or something and so then it comes back to the house what legislators can then do is they can take house bill 456 and delete all of the language and then they can take the language from house bill 123 and stick it in house bill 456 and even though it effectively creates a brand new piece of legislation the original bill the title house bill 456 is still there and that is what has made it through the legislative process so that is a common vehicle by which bill language that was thought to be dead can make a reappearance at the end of session Mm -hmm. that's one way they can do it the other thing that they can do is use what's called a shell bill so every year there are several bills that essentially are filed with nothing in them other than a title Mm -hmm. a title and a bill number there's no legislative language but those bills are kind of held over and pushed through the process so that at the end, if there's a new policy priority or a bill that leadership usually really, really wanted to see make it through mm-hmm. that didn't, they have a vehicle that they can insert language into and get something through at the last minute. So th- I think the main the main way that we saw this happen um, at the end of session this year was several bills that had original language was deleted and new language was inserted, mm-hmm. and then there were lots of floor amendments. The floor amendment process was used. Yeah, it was um, used more this year than usual. Yeah, and, and a floor and, amendment is just when you have a bill being heard on the floor, and then a member stands up and says, I want to amend this bill and add additional language. Right, right now, as opposed to submitting it earlier or something.
0: And it, it's worth noting that all of this is completely legal. This is part of how the system is designed. It doesn't necessarily come across as, we'll say, fair. Um, and that's, I think for us at home, for me, like watching some of this, just, I'm a guy who likes rules. I think they give some structure to society, not all rules. My office gets to wear jeans on Friday. That violates the dress code, but we do it anyway. And so some things are okay. And I'm, you know, I'm sure there's someone who argue that rules are made to be broken. I'm just saying when it comes to legislating your state, maybe sticking with some rules. And and because it's predictable, right? And we would like opportunity for things to be heard and reviewed and vetted and discussed and robust and I know that this will be no surprise to listeners that Scott and I are big fans of robust conversation and debate. So, that's my personal
1: preference. However, there are times that expediency is valued. Sure. And I think, <clears throat> you know, we there's a bill there's a bill that we'll talk about here in a minute that really exemplifies this process. And, you know, I agree with you, Andy, none of these things that we're talking about in terms of, you know, using shell bills and floor amendments and, um, you know, committee substitutes and floor substitutes, those, they're not against the rules. But I think what frustrates me is when procedure is used not to make a better piece of legislation, but although the people that are doing it would say that's what they're doing. Um Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. It's true. But when but when these kind of procedural maneuvers are used to circumvent the process and enact something into law that the regular process, you know, the process of regular order has said like, no, right. We we don't want this. And also
0: it just always sucks when uh if you feel like you're on the losing side of this, right? Because this kind of procedural maneuver, um, to <laughs> to use your term there, is is used by both parties, whoever's in, par- whoever's in right. power, right? Like right. they use their power to get their agenda done.
1: Yeah, you have the, the majority party in either chamber has a substantial advantage when it comes to parliamentary maneuvers,
0: yep. for sure. So, so, um, so we are signy died now, signy dead, I suppose. And <laughs> we are <laughs> signy dead. Um, so, a couple of things that might happen henceforth. One I think we've mentioned the last few episodes is that, as many of you may know, there's a state question on the June 26th primary ballot. This will be a statewide election. Everybody, you better go vote, Um, because there'll be lots of races on the vote, like lots of candidates, Uh, and uh, at least one state question, and that state question is 788. What is state question 788, Andrew? Well, I'm glad you asked, Scott. It has to do with uh, medical marijuana.
1: Marijuana? That's right. That's like a drug.
0: Reefer madness. So what we have right now is uh, a state question Uh that if it passes will (laughs) cause a lot of hullabaloo at the state because it's got a really short time frame. So it comes out, they've got like 30 days, 60 days, I forget, to put it into law and to get everything in place. And the way it's written, the health department is supposed to oversee everything, as you know, um, they are not maybe in the position or equipped to do that. Yeah, and
1: they've, had a, they've had a tough year. They've
0: had a tough year. It, they're turning a the corner, I think, but they're still not there yet. So there's some structure that needs to be in place. Should it pass? We didn't know if they were going to talk about it this session or not. They didn't. And so if State Question 788 passes in June, we will almost definitely see a special session of the legislature to come back in to deal with this They may do it beforehand, preemptively, just in case. No, they won't,
1: because they just suddenly died, so they won't. They could. I mean, they could, but they've said they won't. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Well, because if you don't, it makes sense, and to me, it makes way more sense to do it now, right? Like, and I'll tell you, and I'll tell you why. Here's my case. Um, So just to make sure everybody's clear, what Andrew is saying is, if they pass state question seven eighty eight. There has to be a, and medical marijuana is now legal in the state of Oklahoma, that 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 action doesn't take place for 30 days until after the state question has been passed, right? So it's 30 days before marijuana is legal. There is some consternation because our state question is written in such a way that it would be the most permissive medical marijuana law anywhere in the country. There are many folks at the Capitol who feel that if it passes, there is going to need to be a much more robust regulatory framework in place in order to kind of manage this new Like industry, this new, what do you want to call it? This new. Yeah, industry. Again, they need rules. They need, yeah, they need rules. Because right now Um, it's written
0: medical, anybody for any reason can go get it. The health department's supposed to oversee stuff, and there's just not, there's no money for it. There's no to like put in people to
1: inspect situations and whatever. And the reason that I think they should do this now, rather than waiting to see if 788 passes, is one, people are pretty optimistic that it's going to pass. And two, if you start now, you have more time. There's a bill, I believe it's in the House, right now that takes the regulatory framework that has been used with varying degrees of success in states around the country and applies it to Oklahoma. It's about 350 pages. Just this that's one a, bill. That's okay? a big bill. Yeah. I mean, like it's, this is a complicated issue. Why would you want to put yourself in a situation where it's like, oh, crap, it passed. So now we have four weeks to get this done. Why wouldn't you start now? Because right.
0: if it doesn't pass, then they can just stay at home. They didn't waste any
1: time. I mean, I guess, but it's like you're Announce like, of- Okay, well, okay, if it passes, we're gonna have four weeks so we'll do a terrible job, or we can just take the chance that it's gonna pass and do a decent job now. Right. I mean they I, could
0: come back in and pass it right away.
1: Right. I mean, I understand why they're not doing it, right? Everybody's tired, everybody wants to go home. These guys wanna go back to their districts, they wanna quit take you know, they wanna quit being at the Capitol all day and all night. Like I I Understand why they feel like they need a break. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, one, you signed up for this. Two, the reason we've had special sessions this year, in my opinion, is because past legislatures have largely abdicated their responsibilities when it comes to making sure the state is on solid financial footing and able to fund itself. Um, so they've been in special session fixing mistakes. You know what I mean? Like, they've been in a session... Right they've been they you're going to have to put in the time at some point. So you can put in the time to regulate marijuana well now or you can put in the time later after the laws have been on the books for 6 months or a year or 18 months and we're having all kinds of problems like you can do it then or you can just do it like to me it kind of boils down to do it right the first time, right? I guess just so do it right that, the first time and and then don't worry
0: about it. As a physician, you might say an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of I don't know what the end of that sentence is.
1: I mean, an ounce of prevention is, depending on the disease you're talking about, better than several pounds of prevention, right? Like, I mean, an ounce to a pound is a 1 to 16 ratio um, in terms of like, <laughs> I mean, in terms of, you know, in terms of cost savings, in terms of life expectancy. This feels um, like one of
0: the economics classes I'm wrapping up right oh, now. I'm
1: just saying that, it could, that, that an ounce of prevention can be worth well more than a pound, of, a pound of cure.
0: A pound of cure. That's how it ends. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, let's move on. And, uh, so that's in the future. We'll obviously keep you in the know if we go back into special session. Uh, when you heard it here, when, <laughs> when. Let's move into discussion of a few bills. There were a whole bunch of bills that passed this week. We're not going to do them all. Um, cause that's long and boring. But three, they got a lot of news coverage, we'll say, and that you probably have heard about. You may have feelings about them. We will try to present them in a factual and unbiased manner, Eh, to a degree. It will
1: probably be clear how I feel about them. (laughs) I apologize if that offends you. uh,
0: The first one is Senate Bill 1221. This bill deals with um, criminal charges, and basically it... It passed, so all these bills passed, we're going to discuss. Um, this one deals with um, allowing children under the age of 18 to serve life without parole. Basically makes that legal.
1: Yeah, and so this is a great example of a floor amendment. Kind of the short story on this bill, um, the bill had gone through the regular process, it had passed off the House floor, it had gone through committee, and then I believe it was Representative Wright, Representative Harold Wright, who's the pro tem of, this, the, pro tem of the House, Uh, introduced a floor amendment this was a a request amendment so the district attorneys association of oklahoma had come to representative wright and said hey we really think that if you insert this provision it will be better the original bill uh mandated the mandated that the pardon and uh, pardon the yeah the pardon and parole boards Mm -hmm. for department of corrections include people who are mental health experts like me yeah so the intent the, they didn't invite me. It was the, they should invite you. The original intent of the bill was that now the parole board, by law, has to have mental health experts in place. The This was part of criminal justice reform. It's intended to give the mental health professional community a voice, I think, in determining who really can and cannot come out of prison. The District Attorneys Association said, "Hey, we think this bill will be better if you add an amendment that says um, juveniles can be sentenced to life without parole at the discretion." This is what's interesting: at the discretion of a judge, not a jury. Okay. Right,
0: and there's some other provision in there that it makes it harder to do than what it actually, what just the quick summary is. Yeah,
1: yeah, and um, there was. I, I mean, I think. Tell me if you think this is overstating. Andy, I think to say that there was outrage about this on the House floor from members of both parties, actually.
0: Yeah, it just looks bad, right? Like, this is one of those bills that, like, the optics of it of, like, why? Like, if you're talking about 16-, 17-year-old offenders who commit some heinous crime, okay, like, I get it, but they they wrote it so open-ended that, in theory, you could convict an 8-year-old and put them... They're not going to do that. Well, cool. you can't do an eight-year-old; it'd be a thirteen. It's oh, 13. thirteen. Okay, the
1: youngest. But yeah, no, it's it was, and we talked. Oh, about, we that's, talked. About, that's
0: ahead. the other caveat to it is that they have to be ruled that they are um, unable to be rehabilitated.
1: Which I don't know how you know that at thirteen. Like right. I don't know how you make that determination. And, and I, so, is there a mental health expert in, involved in that piece? There is, but a mental. I think most mental health experts that are worth their salt will tell you are going to say no. Yeah. Right. Okay. So at thirteen, th- you can't make that determination. Right. And so again. I'm cutting you off on purpose That's fine. Uh, because
0: then this bill doesn't do anything, right? Like it's a lot of it's maybe it's worth getting angry about because it looks bad and it's unnecessary. But the fact is I can't imagine except in some super heinous situation where a, an older teenager who's 16 or 17 commits a heinous crime that they get life without parole But can't they charge them as an adult anyway in those cases?
1: Yeah, they can. But the other thing is, I mean, I disagree with you when you say that the bill doesn't do anything because the bill, the idea that the bill doesn't do anything, presumes that no mental health expert would ever rule that a thirteen-year-old can't or a fourteen-year-old or fifteen-year-old can't be rehabilitated. Right. It opens a door that we
0: don't want to walk through. Right.
1: And I don't. and And I'm not trying to like cast like. I'm not trying to disparage the mental health community. I love the mental health community. I wish we had more mental health experts in Oklahoma. My wife is one of them. You're one of them. Like, I, I'm not trying to like call out that group of professionals as a group or, or right. any individuals. I'm just saying it shouldn't even be a question, right? right? It should not come down, in my opinion, to the discretion of an individual mental health provider to determine, like, is this person able to be... Like, how do you determine that someone can be rehabilitated or that that they can't, right? Particularly at 13, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, maybe you say that they've got uh, antisocial personality disorder, so they are a true psychopath. They have no possibility of feeling empathy. But there are psychopaths. There are people who are by the clinical definition of psychopathy, right? Or not psychopaths, sociopaths. There are people who are clinical sociopaths walking around... All over the place amongst us every day, right? Well, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. they have, may
0: have predispositions and not committed any crimes,
1: right? I'm just saying, like, the I I I just don't understand what kind of criteria you're going to apply. Like, how are you? It's it's not that it's not that I think a lot of psychiatrists or psychologists are going to make the make that determination but we shouldn't even be allowing for the possibility of it. Right. I that's the point I'm trying to make.
0: This is my general stance about laws, is that we shouldn't open a door unless we intend to walk through it. So this opens a door that we hope we never walk through, and we have no intention of walking through it, but the door is open. Don't open the
1: door. Just keep the door closed. I feel like I'm talking to my kids. Yeah. All right. So that was one from this week. We had talked about that bill a little bit on last, last week, week yeah. and then I think that it went to the Senate this week. It passed the Senate, and now it'll go... Or was it? Was it a Senate bill? The Senate bill went to the House. Okay, yeah. and then it went, but then it got amended in the House and went back to the Senate. And this like a damn gang of ping pong, yeah. Down there. And the Senate accepted the amendment and it went back to the governor or Ta-da. Went the governor,
0: So all right, so similar numbers. Um, we, that was Senate Bill twelve twenty one. The next one we'll discuss is Senate Bill twelve twelve, constitutional carry. Pew 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 pew. May the fourth be with you. Today's, yeah, that's today
1: thoughts Andrew on um, constitutional so, carry.
0: <laughs> so again um, we're uh, I maybe I'm just tired at this point but a lot of these bills I just don't feel like getting outraged about because me getting outraged doesn't change the outcome of this right and me yelling in my house doesn't change it here's the deal with this bill it allows people to um, carry your gun wherever you want just around unless the venue prohibits it right? Um, so you can't carry it into the to basketball games or concerts or the state capitol or courthouses or whatever anyway. Anywhere it says no guns, you can't bring it but you can open carry concealed carry whatever without having a license. So it just allows you to carry your gun no license needed. You still have to do a background check to buy it, but you don't have to get like a concealed carry or open carry license.
1: Yeah, so the big the big deal about this, we talked about the bill some last week. This is another good example of kind of um, uh, process at work. Uh, 1212 was initially just to allow uh, the carrying of firearms in wildlife refuges. The provision to allow the unlicensed carrying of a fire alarm wherever fire alarms can lawfully be carried um, was a floor amendment offered by Representative Coody. Um, the bill went to the Senate. One point of contention in the Senate was That this bill does actually have a fiscal impact. And the reason it has a fiscal impact... It does because we don't get the fees. Right. Because, um, yeah, so right now you have to pay a fee, the OSBI... Uh, when you get a concealed carry permit, mm-hmm. this that would take away that fee. So that means that that's a loss of about $4.7 million a year to OSBI, as well as 60 positions, OSBI, 60 full-time positions. Uh, OSBI, Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, put out a statement urging Governor Fallon to veto the bill, uh, saying that with the loss of $4.7 million in permit revenue and the loss of 60 additional positions, that the OSBI, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, the Oklahoma-specific agency that is analogous to the FBI will be operating at 63% of their full capacity. <laughs> oh, I didn't hear that. And so, I mean, it's funny that
0: they're arguing for a, a bill that kills jobs, too. I mean, that's...
1: Right? Like, this is... I mean, law enforcement is against this bill, right? Uh, yeah, OSBIs, lawn... Oklahoma City PD, Tulsa PD, um, most of the major city uh, police forces have come out in opposition to this bill. They have said that what this does... Is that it? The bill um, makes it impossible for, or very difficult for law enforcement to determine who is legally and illegally carrying a weapon. Um, Because now what you'd have to do is say the person's running a weapon, now you have to detain them, give enough time to check and detain them for enough time to check all of the databases to determine is this person a felon do they have mm-hmm. any outstanding warrants that right. like you have to basically do a full check on this person to see if there's anything that would prohibit them from carrying a gun mm-hmm. proponents of the bill argue that you know the second amendment says the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed and i don't disagree it 100 says that in the second half of the amendment the first half says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Well-regulated militia are like, it's like in the first five words, okay? Pew, pew. So, anyway, it, this hasn't
0: been Simon the Governor yet.
1: And honestly, I mean, I think, you know, I would put the odds that she signs it at probably 90% or greater. yeah. yeah. Uh, but I don't, I honestly, I don't know that it's a done deal
0: no it may not be because um because it it's just unnecessary again we don't need it I don't I don't know why you're carrying your gun to the donut shop or the you know the soccer fields or whatever just I get I understand I hear the arguments I understand why it's just not for me for me like that's an expensive piece of equipment that could kill a person at a long distance and that's unnecessary for normal life um so that's 1212 12. moving on to Senate bill 1140 this will be the final bill we'll discuss today and that is a bill that uh, came up this was maybe the most hotly contested bill of the week maybe of the year um, it was a, it's a bill that would and it was one that went from the house to the Senate I know for the Senate to the house back to the Senate back to the house and now on to the governor and it it protects the perceived rights of religious organizations that do adoptions um, and placements, and lets says that they can refuse to uh, place a child in a home or with a f- family of at their discretion. Basically, that, that somehow that, offends. That their, would force
1: them to violate their s- written religious or moral beliefs. Right.
0: So basically. LGBT couples, uh, single individuals, perhaps you know whatever they um, they felt like violates their written things. Yeah. So um, maybe other religions. There's some question about that. Put it out there. So uh, the a couple of points of contention with this one is that uh, it that these organizations receive state funds, and so it is kind of codifying discrimination based on someone's gender identity um and that entity received state funds there was an amendment that would take the money out of it but that got rejected and so it's moot um and i know the aclu this there's laws like this in some other states and i think the aclu is uh has yeah they're kind of like
1: they're all getting sued
0: yeah well but i don't know if they're all getting sued because um, I saw uh, Nick Singer on Twitter, who was over there, said some of his colleagues at the ACLU have said like it might not a lawsuit might not be successful. They may not pursue it because it's interesting. Um, it's it's but as we said earlier um, before we started recording, it's kind of a at the junction between two civil liberties, right? So the um, First Amendment to freedom of religion there and religious expression up against. Um, you know, discrimination laws and um, people's free, their rights there. Uh, and so it is a tricky issue. My point in this, as I said to you before we started recording, is that most people who are wanting to adopt or looking to adopt, who are going down that path that is lengthy and expensive and emotionally draining and can be really difficult, are going to go to an organization. That they and work with an organization through which they feel most comfortable. And they are not going to go to one that they don't feel comfortable that wouldn't be reciprocal there. And so it's, it's probably discriminated against people who wouldn't be going there in the first place. So it's like a self-selection issue. Now, I'm not saying that it's, in my opinion, that it's okay that, say, dollars are spent. Just saying, again, this is probably a law that opens a door that we don't want to open because we don't want to have to walk through it, but it's kind of a moot point in my opinion. The reason that you're wrong,
1: Andy, (laughs) (laughs) that pause was an eye roll, a giant, (laughs) huge ass eye roll. (laughs) No, 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 you're, I mean, your point is well taken. Um, and I think, I think you're right. I think there definitely is, there is probably some selection bias, right? Like if you are, you know, if you are a gay couple, you are probably not going to Catholic charities to adopt a child. Um, is my guess Mm -hmm. um i do i do i have a i personally speaking for me scott i have a problem with state i just the whole argument to me that we need to protect their religious freedom the religious freedom of these organizations is not under attack they are free to believe whatever they want and practice their beliefs however they want to what they are not free to do in my opinion, or should not be free to do, is accept state dollars and use state dollars to fund their practicing of religion. Right? Right. Like that is what that's one Any thing. Any more that, than
0: than the state yeah. isn't giving tax dollars to a church like right. directly.
1: Right. Um, so that's that's one thing. The other thing that was really offensive to me about this, and this is something you and I had talked about before we started recording. Was the process that this went through. So 1140. Oh, right. yeah. This right, is a whole separate issue now. Yeah. yeah. Like, so 1140 was SB 1140 was introduced in the Senate. It passed committee. It passed the Senate floor. It then went to the House where it was assigned, I believe, to the Judiciary Committee. Um, it went to the Judiciary Committee where uh, Representative Leslie Osborne added an amendment that prohibited uh, basically said this, that this law would not apply to any organizations that accept state or federal funds It then went to the floor On the floor of the house Multiple attempts were made to remove that amendment None of them were successful mm-hmm. A majority of the house of representatives Did not vote to take the amendment off And the bill passed the house with the amendment intact So far so good We've, we've kind of followed the letter of the law We then went to, the bill has to go back to the Senate because an amendment was added in the House. Senator Greg Treat, who was the author in the Senate, uh, refused the amendment, which is his purview, right? The author of the bill can say, no, I I reject the uh, amendment that was added by the House. They're completely free to do that. When that happens, the next option is for the bill to go to what's called a conference committee. Normally the bill would be sent to a conference committee that is like kind of a mix of the committees from which it came out of. Right. Mm -hmm. So like it was in judiciary initially because it should have gone to the judiciary conference committee. Leadership was aware that it would likely not pass the judiciary conference committee. So they created a special conference committee and I don't mean they created like a special conference committee for all the difficult bills. They literally called a, a committee created a committee called Conference Committee for Senate Bill 1140. Okay, that was the name of the committee. Instead of assigning the normal number of committee members, they assigned half of the normal number of committee members. And they did that so that the threshold of votes that the bill needed to get out of committee would be lower. They then assigned members to that committee who they knew would vote in favor of the bill with no additional restrictive language. Okay, so that got the bill out of conference committee. Then it went back to the House. And it was put on the floor – no, sorry, it went to the Senate, where it was passed off of the floor uh, with Senator uh, A.J. Griffin offering a pretty passionate debate about why it was a bad bill and voting against it, largely as a sign of protest. Then it went back to the House where it was introduced on the floor. It was not subject to any questioning. It was not subject to any debate. Um, The minority would allege that multiple motions were made during the process that were ignored by the chair that should have been taken into consideration. Um and then the thing that really just gets my like like lights my fire about this, I believe that there were 26 senators or 26 House members who didn't vote. Hmm. Right? So there were, um, and I believe, don't quote me on this, I believe that they were all members of the majority. So there were twenty it's either twenty-three or twenty-six. Twenty-six members of the majority don't like this bill, okay? They don't want it to pass. They don't want it on their record that they voted for it, but they don't have the stones to vote against it.
0: Well, those are two different things.
1: They withheld, they with. They voiced their support, okay? They voted down all the procedural maneuvers to try and table the bill, to try and get the bill sent back to a regular committee. They voted with their party to, you know, defeat all of those motions And then when it came time to vote on the bill They left the floor, went to their office and said Oh, now when they're asked about it When they're campaigning this fall Oh, I actually didn't vote on that bill I wasn't on the floor when that was voted on Mm -hmm. Like, that's an abdication of their responsibility It's cowardly, okay I understand politically why they did it (laughs) But like, it it is That is why you're there, okay Like, if you support the bill, then get on the floor and vote for it. Mm -hmm. If you don't, then get on the floor and vote against it. But don't go hide in your office and pretend that you didn't know it was happening, right? Particularly when you supported the process that led to that point in its entirety. I'm sorry. That's my... I just... This is... Ooh, Scott's angry. It's, you know, these... The representatives, they're there to represent us. They're there to represent their constituents, And this bill went through a process whereby a majority said the best representation of this law for our constituents is that it contains an amendment that says state and federal funds can't be used by these agencies. Mm -hmm. And then that language was stripped out and subjected to a process that is literally unprecedented by the leadership so they could pass the bill that they wanted, regardless of what a majority of members had done with the bill. And And that – and that, to me, that makes me angry because that's a mockery of the way the system is supposed to work.
0: Right. Like I, so uh, a <laughs> friend of mine is kind of a leadership guru here in town, and I saw he tweeted just a little while ago, um, and his tweet said, "Inconsistency undermines credibility," and I thought that is true, and that makes a lot of sense, and I, it's probably relevant in this conversation, regardless of which party's in power. These kind of shenanigans. Do undermine the credibility of those that are doing it, right, like this inconsistency or doing things that are unprecedented in order to push something through and but then also saying like well we couldn't you know we couldn't get this bill through because of deadlines, but then we found a way to get this other one through anyway, that kind of stuff just kind of circumvents the system, and while it is not illegal, it's like just not
1: cool, man, you know yeah, so anyway, that was my that was my big rant for this week,
0: all right. Well, I'll take the lead on this one, so you can cool off. uh, (laughs) Pour yourself a drink. Put your feet up. Uh, So the next one, uh, this is not a bill, so we're going to move on. Are we
1: talking about 888 or no? No. Okay.
0: 888 was the wind wind tech. You guys discussed that a lot last week. But it failed. So it failed. That was new. All right. That's the end of that story, though. Okay. Yeah, it failed. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) the last thing we're going to talk about here is state question 799, which is... Not yet officially on a ballot, but it does have ballot language. So this is uh, the measure led by Senator Tom Coburn, and I know you guys discussed this last week as well. Um, this is the proposed veto referendum, which I think is a mouthful, but basically it's, it would be a state question on the ballot um, for us to vote on that would repeal all the education money that we passed. Uh, So he's got to get a bunch of signatures. They submitted their ballot title, which is basically another phrase for ballot language or how it appears on the ballot. And I'll read it to you now. Proposed ballot title for referendum. Yes, Scott.
1: Does it say all taxes are bad and evil and no one should ever pay taxes ever?
0: No, it does not. Good guess, though. (laughs) That is his stance, I believe, how I understand it. The measure reads... This measure seeks to repeal House Bill 1010-XX. The bill passed during the second special session of the 56th legislature. House Bill 1010-XX raised the gasoline tax per gallon from $0.16 to $0.19, raised the diesel fuel tax per gallon from $0.13 to $0.19, raised the cigarette tax 50 mils per cigarette, And raised the tax on the gross production of oil, gas, or oil and gas in the first 36 months of a wells production from 2% to 5%. A yes vote is a vote in favor of this measure and to repeal the higher taxes. A no vote is a vote against this measure to repeal the taxes. And then, shall the proposal be approved for it or against it? This is my deal with ballot questions. It's like, the wording is always complicated and difficult and a little misleading. And so even as an educated fellow who's been following this, reading it's like, mm, okay, so what does yes mean? What does no mean? Before we get to the election in June, um, we'll pull out a voter guide about whatever state questions are on that ballot. And just to clarify again, this is not yet officially on a ballot anywhere. Coburn and crew have to get... 40,000, 50,000 signatures. So there are some movements out there to like encourage people not to sign the petition basically, which is a funny effort and maybe a little difficult if they get the signatures and there's, they only have, they have a, I think 90 days to do it. Maybe only 60 days. I forget. But anyway, if they get it, um, then it will go on a ballot and we'll have to vote on it. The last time this happened, it got voted down. All right. If, Word gets out about this, and it is and has been. Um, I think voters will understand that voting against this would gut education yet again. It would just undo all of all of that all that work we went through to get this money for teacher pay and classrooms and whatever. And and it won't happen until after it's already started. and It's just going to be a huge mess. Funny story, <laughs> among other things. Funny ha ha or am not going to cry.
1: Yeah, the second one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> would be that um, what it would probably do, assuming that we have a third special session for the marijuana, uh, what it would probably do is uh, force a fourth special session because if this was if this was to go into effect, if, or if they were to get enough signatures to go to the ballot uh, and they got to stay to keep all of the taxes and raises from going into effect at the beginning of uh, fiscal year 19 on July 1st, the legislature would have to come back and rebalance the budget. Yikes. And it would be massive cuts. Yes.
0: And they would probably spread them out yes. across the board, which would mean massive cuts for lots yes. of people. Yes. Jeez. Just, Just completely unnecessary. Right.
1: Yes. I agree.
0: All right. Well, Scott, that's about all we have for this week.
1: Yeah, I think that's it. You know, uh, parting thoughts. Yeah. Um, I have one. The, do what? I have one. Oh, but yes. Go so, ahead. I was going to say, you know, um, I would really like to encourage all of you, just because session uh, is over now, um, don't think that means that uh, we don't have stuff to talk about. Uh, we will still be here every week. We're going to try over the summer to um, maybe explore some... Explore some issues in a little bit more depth, mm-hmm. um, talk mm-hmm. about, you know, what the legislature did with things like criminal justice reform, um, some other issues that they got into, which we're going to try and kind of delve into process, I think, a little bit more and explain how certain parts of the legislature work and function and what things mean, as well as talk about what all we can be doing for the next six months uh, between now, election season, your election day November, and the start of session uh, next uh, Next January. That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, look forward to some more events. We're going to do stuff uh, around the state. We want to hear from you. We want to meet you, say hi, shake your hand, give you a hug, whatever. Talk about what's important to you. We want to educate you on how to do really great advocacy. There's a ton of folks out there this year that got a little taste of that, got a crash course in civics, and now they really want to be involved. Um, We're excited to help you do that. We are going to host a Hall and Oaths event again, where we will fill the halls and watch them take their oath of office. That'll be towards the end of this year, after the general election, so way in advance. Uh, But we're super excited about what's going to happen between now and then, and also, in the much more near future, Uh, now that they have officially signed, died, uh, I'm going to tabulate who our winner is for the predict-o-rama that we started at the beginning of session. Uh, I have not even had a chance to look at it this week to see if anyone's even close. Uh, I've received one inquiry from uh, one David Glover, who's asked <laughs> who won. Um, of course, of course Think might did. be close. David, so, if you're listening, God bless you. <laughs> I told him I would uh, look into it this weekend, so I'll put it into the magic number machine and it'll go beep-boop-beep-boop-beep beep, 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 and come out with a winner and we'll put it out. Uh, I'll put it out probably just on social media. Uh, we'll announce it next week on the podcast as well. So, stay tuned. Hope you won a tote bag. Scott, what if we have more than one? Ooh, and the person gets to come on the podcast. Yes. Ooh, that'd be really exciting. That'd be awesome. A guest. We shouldn't pack up all these microphones there. Right? <laughs> 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 uh, yes. Okay, super. Well, that officially brings us to the end of this episode. Remember, you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at at let's fix this okay scott is at sc Nelson and i am at andy okc you can also like our facebook page at facebook.com slash let's fix this okay our website is let's fix this and there you can sign up for our newsletter read our blog find resources and details about upcoming events if you like the podcast please uh, rate us leave us a review on the apple podcast app google play store whatever it is where you find podcasts uh, that'd be great our podcast is edited and produced by scott and me let's pod this is a member of the mostly harmless media network and our theme music is provided by the sugar-free all-stars let's fix this is a nonpartisan, partisan non-profit organization and we strive to educate and equip all oklahomans to engage with government we encourage you to get involved in any way that you can remember decisions are made by those who should